Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 89 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today I'm talking with Dr. Ashley Lucas, who reached out to us and asked to come on the podcast. So in this episode, Dr. Ashley shares some great insights with us. And I hope you pick up on some of those subtle hints and tips that she um, shares with us. So let me tell you a bit about Dr. Ashley, PhD weight loss founder, Dr. Ashley Lucas holds a PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease and is also a registered dietitian. She comes to the field of nutrition and weight management with a unique background as she was previously a professional ballet dancer. Her career was constantly met with injury and struggle to meet the required ballet-specific body type. As a result, she retired from her professional dancing career understood the importance nutrition played in her own athletic performance and started along her path to becoming an expert in the field of nutrition and wellness. Following 15 plus years of research and clinical practice, Dr. Lucas developed PhD's science-based approach that revolutionised the science of weight loss. Her approach focuses on metabolic wellness inflammation reduction and behavioural and emotional support that creates profound sustainable transformation in the body and mind. Dr. Lucas recently released her groundbreaking ebook, The Ultimate Weight Loss Secrets. She helps those who have failed over and over again with previous weight loss attempts to finally find long-term success. Welcome, Dr. Ashley, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> it's good to meet you. So we always start with where in the world are you? I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, I was in North Carolina. When was that? 2019. Oh, I was in nice. Charlotte. Oh, yes. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Lovely. And um, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to low carb. And then we'll get more into what you're doing with it now. Sure. I was a professional ballet dancer. I started training in ballet since I was a really young girl and I didn't have any natural talent. I was always pushed in the back row, but I think that whenever someone tells me it's not possible or you're not very good at it, I push and push until I make it. And that's what I did with ballet. So I pushed myself to do things that my body didn't naturally want to do. I was told I was fat countless times, always struggled to maintain the lean weight that was needed for the sport. Despite counting calories, I avoided dietary fat because I thought that if I ate fat, I'd get fat. 
Um, and so despite all of that effort, I was just, I, I was injured often, but I still had a pretty successful career because of my obsession to just work through challenges. I danced with companies throughout the country and I had a, a really fun and fulfilling career, but it ended when I was chosen to perform up in New York City, you know, every dancer's dream. And I was flown up there. And instead of finding myself in the spotlight, I found myself in the ER. Um, I had no idea what was happening. I thought I was having a heart attack. But after a whole bunch of different tests, the neurologist came back and said that I was just underfed and overexercised and my body could not take it anymore. So I had to step away. I was flown home without doing any of those once in a lifetime shows. Oh. I know. I felt like I was a failure and I had to step away from that career before most people would have said that I made it. It was my identity, you know, for any of you all who have done a sport or an art, it's just kind of who you become. So I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was fearful of my health future. I didn't, still didn't really know what was going on. And so I had to take a step back and I understood how significantly nutrition impacted my performance. So I went on and earned my PhD in that, specifically sports nutrition and chronic disease. And I studied exactly what I went through. You know, what happens when you chronically undereat? for all of us diet, chronic dieters, you know, yeah. who struggle with our weight. What happens on the back end to our metabolism? Um, how do we drop weight and optimize our body composition without ruining the metabolism underneath? I wanted to learn that. And then I also studied, and I think this is the most important aspect is mentally and emotionally, how do you make changes that are sustainable on the other side? So I put all of that together and I went on and I taught at the Ohio State University and I learned there that as much as I love research, I'm not a very patient person. <laughs> and I have to see dramatic change in individuals pretty quickly to be satisfied. And so I went back to school, I completed my dietetic internship, because I wanted to be a registered dietitian, believing that, you know, that would allow me to be an expert in the field of weight management. But there was an issue there. And the issue was that I was taught all the same things that I implemented into my life when I was dancing that didn't lead to success. I ate less, moved more. I had great discipline. I ate everything in moderation or at least attempted to. Low fat. I, yeah, low fat. I think there were days where I would feel I was a great success and I would eat five grams of fat, you know, Um everything fat free. And so I just knew that didn't work for me. And so I just started to ask questions and read different books and flip things upside down and do my own research. And so I put that together with my doctoral work and created today what we do now in serving thousands of people across the, the world, actually. And, and that is what I call the PhD approach and really focuses on um, supporting the metabolism and reducing inflammation as we're dropping excess weight. So that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Excellent. And you said one of the first books you read was uh, Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint. That's right. I love that book. When anyone asks me of a book to read, that's the first one I suggest. I think it's just written with uh, the layperson in mind in a way that we can actually comprehend and put into action. So I love that book. Yeah. 
Right. So how has that manifested in your life in terms of your health? Because how old were you when you stopped dancing? I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. So how what happened? What what was the journey there from when you stopped dancing? How did you heal your body? Yeah, well, I I wasn't very kind to it because I then took one obsession for another and started road biking, cycling. Um, and I would cycle 250 miles a week. I mean, I just when you dance or like any athlete, your body is just exhausted at the end of the day. And, and it's something that I still need. I miss that feeling. I needed that. So I just um, switched one sport for another and I became a really strong cyclist, but, but that's when I was struggling with weight still, you know, eating so many carbs, bonking Gatorade gels, goose to get me through, you know, I, avoided red meat for a very long time because I thought that it was not heart healthy. I remember, you know, eating frosted mini wheats for breakfast with skim milk and just feeling terrible and inflamed while I was riding. So it was through that process that I really had to take a step back and recognize that chronic cardio isn't a good thing. So I think I first revamped the way that I moved and focused instead on calming down, um, lifting some weights instead of just going on the bike for hours and hours, maybe some shorter, but higher intensity interval training there. And when I switched my exercise, I was able to let go of the food because I didn't have to have specific food to fuel my performance. And so that's when I started to become fat adapted. And, and I dropped the carbs down and I was able to do that and give my time, my body time to recover there, but it was a slow process of learning, probably a bit more paleo at the beginning, dropping all the processed foods and then realizing that I just didn't need the carb load. And I went through that period probably for six months. And then I got back on the bike and found that I was stronger and better and faster once my body was fat adapted. And I understood that you know, you can do things when you can burn fat for fuel. There's nearly every cell, you know, nearly every cell in the body prefers to burn it. I just wasn't letting it. Yeah. And so when I was able to make that shift in my metabolism, I slept better, the weight melted off, I didn't look inflamed, I didn't have injuries, I didn't get sick as often. And um, yeah, I just felt so much better. Yeah. Right. So there's some great benefits there. Mm-hmm. So, um, how did you come to create your program? Because you've got a program and you've written a book. So, maybe tell us a little bit about how that came about. Sure. I started off working with athletes just because that was my background. <clears throat> and at the time, we lived in Durango, Colorado, which is, I think, the number one fittest city in America <laughs> <laughs> with athletes of all types. I mean, you name it cross country skiers, downhill skiers, paddlers, kayakers, runners, martial artists. I mean, every climbers, everything that you could imagine. So I started working with those individuals, helping them optimize their body composition for their sport without harming their metabolism. Like I did in the process. So I really wanted to help people avoid what I, what I went through. And so that's how I started. But, you know, 72% of Americans are struggling with obesity and overweight being overweight. And so I just found that people started to come to me who weren't athletes, but still were struggling with excess weight. And what I found 
had a, a significant impact on these athletes had a more profound impact on individuals struggling with excess fat weight. Yeah. So that's how I came to develop. It started just with me in a very small office. And within about six months, I had so many people, I had to hire a team and then move into a bigger location to be able to accommodate people. And I found that what we were doing was so unique and different from other people, other programs, so effective at reversing obesity and obesity health-related conditions that I just wanted to serve more people. So our program, really, we have weekly, part of it is weekly one-on-one coaching where we serve our clients and talk not just about the nutrition, but also tweaking the meal plan so people see great continued success and then focusing on the mind, you know, dropping the stories and false beliefs, um, looking at the habit behavior. I think that's 80% of dropping weight. And once we can dial in the food in this unique way, that's different, not calories in and calories out. Oh my gosh, the results are just outstanding. So from there, we expanded into our other office in New Mexico. Um, And then from there, we actually moved our entire family here to Asheville, North Carolina to be able to serve more people. So now we have an office here in Asheville and Greenville and Charlotte where you went a few years ago. And that's been a lot of fun, but even more our nationwide program, and it's actually international. We're serving clients everywhere um, over the phone or by video like this and really getting them to make big changes, not just in their nutrition, but their mindset. Yeah. And that's a lot of the battle, isn't it? It it is about the mindset and it is about, And you almost have to believe that the way a low carb lifestyle will help you, because if you don't believe that you're constantly battling against the, you've got this battle of thoughts saying I shouldn't eat this. And we're saying, yes, you should. Mm -hmm. And, and until you assimilate that into your body and get rid of that cognitive dissonance, I think that's half the battle really, isn't it? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that you said to me is that you believe that weight gain isn't our fault. So can you say what you, you know, your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, many, many things that come into this statement, but the one that I look at is metabolically what's happening. So we understand that what happens in our lives when we start to gain weight is usually we, um, we experience a trigger and this trigger is different for each person For someone, it might be pregnancy. For another woman, it might be menopause. Usually for a man, it's some kind of big stressor, like relationship or job change, something like that. And all of a sudden we witness weight gain where we're thinking, what the heck is going on? You know, I didn't eat any different, but this weight is just packing on. Well, over time, this weight specifically harbors in the belly. And we know that this belly fat, we call it visceral fat. Mm-hmm. gets in there and grows its own blood vessels, gets its own oxygen supply and starts to secrete hormones. So these fat cells in the belly are there with their own objective. And you know what they want to do. All they want to do is get fatter and yeah. bigger and yeah. multiply. So I actually look at the belly fat like a tumor. And I know that it has its own agenda. And all it wants to do is get fatter as fast as possible. So that's why I say that it's not your fault because you've had this trigger, the fat mass started to, to accumulate, and now it's got a mind of its own. 
It has its own urges and demands and desires. And all it wants to do is grow. It's going to make you crave like crazy, crazy. And there's no willpower in the world that will overcome that feeling of a craving. It slows your metabolism and it makes you lazy because the last thing this hungry fat mass wants you to do is go expend more energy. <laughs> take, take the fat away. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to just imagine in simple terms there, it's much more complicated than this, but let's say you eat this bowl of oatmeal with vanilla yogurt and blueberries and it's steel cut oats. Cause we all think steel cut means that it's different type of healthy oatmeal or something, but we eat that. I want you to imagine that that energy piles in almost to feed the fat mass first. Mm. So in a sense, the muscle cells are, are, are starving almost there. The brain can't get what it wants. The muscles can't get what it wants. And the, all this energy is going into the fat mass. So we're hungry still. Yeah. We might not feel it, but we're hungry in there. And then we eat more and we're like, why am I eating this? I'm not hungry, but your body's saying, oh my gosh, you're starving. Something's wrong here. And so once we get into that cascade, man, um, it's, it's not your fault. It's just hormonally driven by this thing that has got energy and just wants to get bigger. Yeah. And, and so what happens is you eat those steel cut oats, you're, <laughs> you haven't got the nutrition. And so then even though you don't feel hungry, your body's sending you to find more food but not mm -hmm. only that you've got within a short period of time that blood sugar drop and therefore then you're starting to look for more food as well to bring your blood sugars back up so we have all that blood sugar going up and down as well yeah so there's the metabolism there's blood sugar and insulin and then there's the habits that we've created out of that yeah you know, so, oh my gosh, when I feel this way, then I know I'm going to eat a donut because it, it makes me feel better, which it does temporarily spikes that glucose back up. Um, but then we have another compensatory drop and we crave another something at three o'clock, like a coffee and chocolate. Um, and we have then the habit ingrained that at three o'clock we eat chocolate and coffee. <laughs> yeah. So then that's why to, to drop weight, sustainably and effectively, we can't just tackle the nutrition. We have to tackle the habit behavior side as well. Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, for us, it's through our coaching. Yeah. It's, it's different processes of, of how to tackle that, what to look at, um, you know, sabotaging thoughts and triggers and what are your stories and how do we let those go? changing your identity, um, you know, looking at where you're headed and becoming that person already, not waiting until you drop a hundred plus pounds, but creating that identity now and living within those values. Um, we also, we have specific audio sessions that are behavior modification sessions that we have our clients listen to. They work with bineural beats and really get in the neural pathways to help repattern. Uh, so we look at it from a multidimensional aspect to really make dramatic change. Yeah. And you said you, you create meal plans. So are they uh, mm -hmm. specific to each client or do you have For a general floor. one? Yeah, no, everybody is very different, unique. And so we're going to, we always listen to their preferences. You know, if there are, there's specific dietary or sensitivities, allergies, we need to look at, um, have a client, you know, who has diverticulitis, we've got to take a look at that and, and what they can tolerate. 
Um, other individuals who might be type one diabetic, that's going to be a different look than a type two diabetic. Um, we also, we like to provide 85% of the food for our clients as well. Um, and there's no additional cost, but it just makes the process more simple. So we can actually see people sticking with it. Mm. So with that breakfast, most of lunch snacks come from us and the dinner meal, no matter what is our client's responsibility. We hold their hand in that meal, takeout guides, dining out guides, grocery shopping lists, but we want them to become experts one meal at a time. So it's not overwhelming but we can put our energy on that dinner meal and then focus it on lunch and let go of any of the lunch items they've been using from us after time and then let go of breakfast. So by the time we get the body where it needs to be, which to us is fully collapsing this hungry fat mass, yeah. we don't let our clients just drop 30 pounds of their 60 pound fat mass because they, we know that it will eat its way up again. It's like shaving the top off of a weed and leaving the root. If someone only collapse a portion of their excess fat weight. So we really focus on that. And then by the time we fully collapse that fat mass, they no longer have that hormonal disruption. They've um, released all of our foods and they are totally self-sufficient. That's when they enter into maintenance with us and maintenance is free and for life. We never let our clients go. I think maintenance is where the work is done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And so what you're, you're focusing on the food, what about exercise? Because I'm guessing you're not going to advocate that they go and cycle for 250 miles a week. Learn from my (laughs) terrible mistakes. (laughs) Um, I think exercise is this really great wellness tool, but not a huge weight loss tool. Obviously, if I was riding 250 miles a week and struggling with excess body fat, that was not the ticket to success. Um, And so I think exercise is, is important, you know, just to get the, from a heart health, stress, mood, sleep, getting your endorphins going. So we generally suggest, and this is dependent on each person, but a 30 minute brisk walk to start. Now, if someone's an avid exerciser, they love CrossFit, we work with those individuals too, and can help them as well. Or if someone just can't move at all, we've helped those individuals so many times over and over again, and then ultimately get them to a point where their body naturally wants to move more. And there is a point, it's usually like week eight or 10, where people come to us and they're like, okay, what can I do? I want to move. Like my body's wanting to, to get out there and do something. What should I do? And at that point, we might direct them to, um, we'll ask what they're, you know, what they like and help figure out what would be best to support something that feels good to them. Mm, Yeah. So how, um, how did the book come about? The book came about because um, people have a lot of questions when I'm speaking on podcasts or other aspects or even to our clients. And, you know, if I had eight more hours with these individuals, then I could go through it all. So I just decided to write a book and put it all in the book, talking about the belly fat and how it works, and then providing some simple lifestyle strategies that people can implement right away. I mean, because I wanted to be able to serve people in the process. So that's really how the book came about, just being able to take all the information that might take me six hours to talk about and mm. put it somewhere where people can access it. Yeah. And what does your, so what does a day look like for you in terms of food? How do you eat and when do you eat and all things like that? And do you fast? Yes. You know, I, now that I've become fat adapted, I'm not a very hungry person. 
And I realized that, you know, when I'm with other people and they're like, oh my gosh, I've got to go eat lunch. I just can't think anymore. I'm not like that. I used to be like that. I remember in my dancing days on the weekend when I was home, all I could think about was what am I going to eat next? And when do I get to eat? I'd be eating, you know, rice cakes, cakes or puffs, or I, I don't know, cherries and things that were all fat free. And I was hungry all the time. So now in the morning, I always have, um, I actually don't tolerate caffeine well, but I love it. So I have decaf coffee, but I put heavy cream in it with maybe a scoop of collagen if I feel like it and some MCT oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really can make it to noon or one until I'm hungry. And for lunch, I might have some eggs scrambled up with some kale or some sausage with kale. I like cheese a lot. So I do put cheese on a lot of things, or I might make a shake. Usually I'm working, so I don't stop to eat. I eat quickly. Um, So I'll make a shake that might have some heavy, heavy cream is my favorite food. (laughs) Yeah. I think before I was keto, I I would never have spooned cream out of the pot, but now, Uh or, or eaten butter off of a spoon, but now I can do both. Yes. Yeah. So maybe in my smoothie, I'll use some unsweetened almond milk and then some heavy cream, maybe some MCT oil, some berries, frozen spinach or frozen kale, and then some kind of, you know, whey protein that's sweetened with stevia. So I'll do that. And then, you know, maybe for a snack around three to four, I might have a protein bar or or I'll grab just some kind of beef jerky, maybe um, some pork rinds, you know, I, I also have to think about it because I don't think I have a snack that often. And then I'll have dinner, which is always some kind of protein, some kind of salad veggies, usually the non-starchy veggies. And then I do love chocolate. So I would say a hundred percent of the time I'll have chocolate after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And do, do you ever fast? I do, you know, I think through, my coffee in the morning, it's not a true fast, of course, because I have cream in there and MCT oil, but I'm getting a little bit of that benefit. Once in a while, I just love that coffee so much. (laughs) Um, But once in a while, I will skip breakfast and, you know, that coffee and just have some tea and go into lunch. So I'd have a 16 hour fast. I've done a 24 hour fast, but honestly, for me, I think my adrenals are a little bit stressed at the moment. And so it doesn't feel great. So I'm just trying to listen to my body and my body says that, um, I've got enough stressors in my life with everything. I've, um, also got three kids and, you know, um, 40 amazing team members. So there's always a lot going on in my life that I watch that and, and my fasting. Mm. So how do you manage the stress? That's a good question. (laughs) I think that um, I feel so definitive in my purpose and I'm so passionate about what we do in PhD and serving people that it doesn't really, I wouldn't say that I'm stressed, but I just think I've got a lot of different plates going that takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus. Mm. So um For me, it's just, you know, planning out my day the day before. So I know exactly what's going on. I'm not very spontaneous unless I plan it into my schedule. Um, You know, just creating clear boundaries that when my kids get home, unless there's some kind of emergency with the business, then I'm not looking at my phone and I have dedicated hours with the kids. 
And then I always try to go for walks and move and do something for myself like one day a week. But I just feel like what I do in PhD and serving other people is for me. So I don't feel that requirement of having me time or I don't know if that makes sense. It, it, it does to me because I, I understand that totally because it doesn't feel like work. So yeah, it's, yeah, I just love it so much. And so nowadays, what do you do in terms of exercise? In terms of exercise, I'm a huge proponent of resistance training. Cardio to me, maybe because I did it for so many years and um, did it, I can't think of the best word to use, but I, I took advantage, I overused it. Um, that it's just not a huge part of my life. And also because I've got so much going on, I feel like my life is cardio. (laughs) Um, So I do a lot of resistance training or um, there's a type of Pilates, it's called Legree Fitness and I just love it. And it's almost like Pilates, but on steroids with music and it's so hard, but it's hard in a way that's non-impact. So it doesn't hurt my knees or my joints, which have been a little blasted from my days of dancing. So yeah, lifting weights, heavy weights. I really like to do that. And then this Pilates and then just going out and hiking, walking up hills, working on, you know, my legs strength, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot lower, a lot less impactful in your heart. Yeah. So much. And, and if I do, it's high intensity interval training, you know, maybe I'm on a stationary bike and I'm on there for 25 minutes hitting it hard and, uh, you know, highs and lows so that in 25 minutes I'm done. I'm also looking in my life right now for the minimum effective dose, just because there is so much going on. I don't want to spend two hours on the bike if I can do it in 20 minutes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Make them. And and that's probably the best way to exercise, isn't it? Just to <laughs> hard and fast. Yes, I think so. So, so I just want to circle back to something that you said earlier which is about the fat, and we, we we spoke about how it's um has a it's almost has a mind of its own, and it's it's sort of pushing you to eat things and do things. And you said also that you make sure that people don't half lose that fat, and mm-hmm. um because they, they, there's that regain. Is that part of the yo-yo phenomenon? And and how do, how do you work with that? How do you make sure that a client is in the right place not to gain that fat back. Yeah, I think it's one of the main reasons why we drop weight to regain it is that people go into their quote unquote dieting attempts just to drop some ambiguous number of pounds. Let's say someone's carrying 80 pounds of excess fat weight and they think, okay, well, 40 seems like something manageable. I'll often hear clients say, well, there's no way I always ask clients, at what weight did you look and feel your very best? I don't care how old you were, what you were doing, but just tell me that. And often they'll go back to college or high school and they'll say, but there's no way that I could ever weigh X because that's what I was in high school or that's what I was in college. But we get men back to their collegiate weight all the time, women back to their high school weight, because that was really their sweet spot where their body was meant to be. As we age, we're not supposed to get fatter. We don't Mm. tolerate fat better as we age. This fat is toxic. And as we age, we become more sensitive. So it should be the opposite way around. Our society's got it a bit confused. And so 
oftentimes what I will do with clients is they'll come in and say, gosh, you know, I'd like to just drop 40 pounds. I can't imagine getting the other 40 off. I, you know, but that's really the only option because if they only drop 40 pounds of this 80 pound fat mass, like I said earlier, it's like shaving the top off of a weed and leaving the root and you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to come so back. We have clients who do this over and over again in other programs that come back to us with a history of having dropped and regained this weight countless times. Yeah. And the biggest reason why is because they've only dropped a portion of the excess fat weight. If it's like a tumor, you wouldn't just cut out half the tumor. And if you did cut out half the tumor, you know, it's still in there working against you secreting all these hormones. Well, the same thing goes with this fat mass. It's just a matter of time until it eats itself up again. It needs to be clean and cleared away. Yeah. And the more fat mass we're carrying, the more severe and serious it is, the more inflammation it's secreting. So, yeah. So how, how do you measure that? How do you know how much fat mass somebody's got and where they, sh you know, how do you know when they've done? So we've done, we've worked with so many thousands of people that if they show us their before and after, or their before, I'm sorry, their before images, their current images. And if we can, if we can learn their story of where they felt their very best, and if they have never felt their very best, then that means they have a genetic predisposition to store this weight very easily. And they've struggled with it since they were a young child. Mm-hmm. And if we can look at their bone structure, yep, and their height and their weight, then we can pretty much figure out within 10 pounds where they need to be. Mm. In our offices, we have a very fancy scale that measures body fat and visceral fat, that belly fat. And so that scale can help us determine it. But since we've done probably, you know, 30,000 of these numbers, we're pretty much on top of it, figuring out for our nationwide at home clients where they need to be. And then is it just a matter of following a low carb, you know, whatever the level is of the client? Is it a matter of them just keep going, keep going until that body fat comes down? Yeah. So the carb content for each client is different. We're not keto. We're not really low carb, but we do play with the carbohydrates just to get each client into a state of fat burn. And that looks different for each person. So depending on their past and where they've been and how often they eat now and what their requirements and activity levels are, we start with a, we have a starting point. And then we really keep close contact with our clients every day at the beginning to make sure they're feeling good. If they're hungry, what symptoms are they feeling? And then we shift the food to support that. And then every week we're kind of tweaking the meal plan so that we see continued success and we do that according to how much weight they've dropped each week and just different feeling states that we'll ask them if they're experiencing. Mm. And through that, we can really figure out what we need to tweak and dial in and change so that they see continued success. So the meal plan does not stay constant. It is dynamic. Yeah. It's really hands-on, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. And I believe it has to be to, to do this. Weight loss is complicated. Yeah. It's much more complicated than calories in and calories out. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. You know, get, it's really interesting. I'll have clients who will eat the same thing from one week to the next. And one week they're stressed and the other week the stressor goes away. And when the stressor goes away, they drop five pounds. And on the stressed week, they went up to mm. eating the same thing. There's so many dynamics in the body that impact 
how it relates to weight loss, that it's very frustrating when say a physician might say, Hey, you've got high cholesterol, you need to lose weight. This to do that, you need to um, eat a healthy lifestyle and exercise more. Yeah. <laughs> like what? what am I going to do with that? That just makes me want to eat a bag of potato chips. <laughs> or, or everything in moderation. Yes. But that's only useful if you can moderate. That's right. You know, I believe that weight loss is an addiction recovery process. And it is so unfair to use that phrase for people who are stuck in that. It's like telling an alcoholic to have one glass of wine. Yeah. And then they just can't do that. It's not their fault. There's nothing wrong with them. But if you were to tell someone to do that in that situation, they would feel such shame and guilt and unworthiness. The same thing goes with food. We never, I, I, one of the most phrases that I dislike is eat everything in moderation. Yeah, me too. Moderation is like a a curse word in our offices. (laughs) And I think, I think the only people that say that are the thin people that have never been fat at all and they they don't struggle with anything yeah I always say that I I think a naturally lean person coined that phrase yeah (laughs) I'm sure they did and they don't know about the struggles of even a certain food type can can cause struggles for people or I, I I really believe if we eat above our carb tolerance level, which is different for everyone, for someone, it might be 50 grams, another person, it might be 200 grams, like it that wide of a variety. But if that person eats above their carb tolerance level, even if it's with a sweet potato, it's going to get them craving these other foods that then might end up being this donut or this pint of ice cream. So it doesn't matter what form it comes in. It really is just if you're eating above your unique body's tolerance level. And if you've struggled with weight since you were a child, your tolerance level is really darn low. Yeah. If you're a type two diabetic, it's really low. You know, honestly, that's, that's where it is. Now, if you're naturally lean and you just exercise because you love it and it feels good, then your tolerance level is going to be on the higher spectrum. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then the, you said um, about the fat burn. How do you measure that? How do you know when when people are burning fat rather people than? No, no. They'll tell they'll tell us. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in fat burn. Or what's been happening this week? I'm not in fat burn. It feels it feels like um, I mean cravings are gone completely. Mm-hmm. Um, Hunger is gone. You could you could go a few days and not really not need to eat. Or when you are hungry, it's like this, oh, I've got to eat, you know, and you could just eat a few, like a small meal and be satiated and go on with your life and put your energy somewhere else rather than thinking what you're going to eat next. It feels for some people, they say that their body just feels hot. Like it's just this revving machine that's just burning, um, fuel. Other people have really enhanced mental clarity and focus where they just can dial in and get in their flow state much more easily. So for each person, it's unique. We also know that, you know, if we're serving a man, he should be dropping three to five pounds. And when he's on the upward scale of that, he is in fat burn. He's not hungry. He's focused at work. His sex drives higher. He can sleep better. That's fat burn. Mm -hmm. So it's a very subjective looking at all the, all the markers in a way that we, we recognize, you know, the the clarity and the 
lack of hunger and the feeling satiated with whatever you're eating. Yeah. And so what happens, because you said people have go into maintenance with you. What does that look like for, for many people? Yeah. So um, once we get the body where it needs to be, we fully collapse that hungry fat mass and we have gradually released any of the foods that they've been using from us. Our clients enter into the maintenance phase. And like I said, maintenance is it's free and it's for life. And um, we always are consistently checking in with our clients or they're you know cross checking back with us. And so what we do is we create a second meal plan that is for maintenance. And what I explain to each client is this, this concept that I've created, and it's called the buffet table. And so I try to explain to our clients that we have all these foods that are on this, I call it our PhD dessert buffet table. And I actually have a PDF image of it that I give to our clients. And I'll say, okay, so all of your starchy veggies are on this table. That's peas, potatoes, carrots, anything underground usually has a really high carb source because it's supporting a plant up above. Mm -hmm. All those type of veggies are going to be on the table. And then we have fruits on the table, you know, mangoes, pineapple, bananas, grapes, and our berries are on that table too. Um, And then we have beans, legumes, edamame that's on the table. And then we have alcohol, wine, beer, hard liquor, And then we have grains, crackers, cereals, cookies, and then desserts, ice cream, cakes, everything that you would think of when you think of a dessert is on the table. And cow's milk is on the table and sweetened uh, flavored yogurts, which by the way, have just as much sugar, you know, as ice cream. Yeah. I eat the ice cream, but um, (laughs) me too. (laughs) So we have this buffet table and all these foods are equal. And so if we can say what we need to figure out in maintenance, once we fully collapse that fatness is how often can we frequent the dessert table? Mm. Me, maybe if my tolerance is a little higher, maybe I can go there three times a day and maintain my weight and not have hunger or cravings for someone who's diabetic. Maybe they can't go to the dessert table. Mm. Maybe someone else can go six times and feel great and maintain, but they're all equal. I don't care if it's steel cut oats or a pack of gummy bears. I mean, I do, but do you know what I'm saying? Metabolically, they have a very similar impact and we've never been taught that. Yeah. We said you can eat this much from all these sections, but then every day and every meal, 80% is from that table. Yes. So, so that's kind of where we're going with maintenance. We don't want to never frequent the table if we don't have to, we, we enjoy the table, Yeah. <laughs> but we've got to figure out what works for us. And we're my, I'm different than my husband. The kids are going to be way different than I am. So, yeah. So uh, are your kids, do they eat this in a similar way to you or do they still eat yeah. a lot of processed foods? They don't eat a lot of processed foods, but they eat a higher carb level just because, you know, their metabolism is equal to an Olympic level athlete and what they can tolerate. And I also don't want to create any kind of food issues with them. Um, I don't want them to go to a friend's house and feel like they have to binge on M&Ms. But I will say, you know, um, we don't ever drink juice. I think juice is like liquid Skittles. Yeah. 
And so when they go to school, they won't get juice. If there is an option, they would choose water. Yeah. Um, we don't drink regular cow's milk. I just don't think that it's important for them and unsweetened almond milk or coconut milk that's fortified. They'll do. Um, we have, you know, PhD items that are high in protein, which we're lucky for. So if they have a cereal, they have our cereal, which is um, very low in carbs and higher in protein. Mm. Um, you know, they always, if I, if we make um, dinner, I wouldn't give them a piece of bread with dinner. They would have dessert instead, you know, and they'd have the protein and the veggie and some kind of, and we're huge on fats. My, I think my, my daughter, she's three years old. And I think her favorite food is truly heavy cream. Like whenever <laughs> she's like, she wants heavy cream in a cup to drink. Um, so she'll have a sip of heavy cream and bacon for breakfast. You know, young kids, they, their brain is made of fat. Yeah. They need, they need, that. They need a lot. Yeah. Especially when they're learning stuff all the time, which they are they at that age. Yeah. All of those things. So, but it, it, they're not perfect either. They have ice cream and cookies and, but probably 80% less than the average kid. Yeah. That's not hard to be 80%. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Ashley, we're coming to the end of our time together. Can you tell people how they can get in contact with you and tell them about the book and how they can find yeah. out more about your program? Sure. So the best way to find out more is to visit our website, which is myphdweightloss.com. And I do have that ebook free right now that you can download, um, which I really hope is helpful. And then following me on social media, I always tr try to provide lots of helpful tips and strategies and motivations. And my handle is Dr. Dr. Underscore Ashley Lucas. And so I think those are probably the, the top two ways of, of finding us out and then just giving us a call and we'll figure out what a plan might be best for you and, and how to serve you best. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. So we'll finish off with your three top tips that you would give somebody. Now, it could be somebody just starting out. It could be somebody that's on the journey. You're just whatever you want to, whatever you would want to t tell somebody. Sure. So let's see, I think probably number one is um, understanding that breakfast isn't the most important meal of the day. <laughs> yep. So if you're not a hungry person in the morning, you don't have to eat. And if you do, it's the most important meal not to have high carbs with. So not going for a, a cereal and skim milk or something, but instead maybe some eggs and veggies scrambled in it. Yeah. Um, so my other two might be more behavior. And one I did briefly mention is, you know, creating your identity as to the person you want to be now and not waiting until you achieve your goal weight, you know? So if you want to be lean and vibrant and fit, what would that lean, vibrant and fit person do today? What would they have in their fridge? What would they have in their cupboards? What would they do during their lunch break? How would they treat themselves throughout the day? Um, I think a lot of us, we wait until something happens and we want to, to, to create that identity now and live in alignment with it. And then I guess my third, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is that weight loss is so much more than dropping weight. It's 
a whole process of letting go of the excess weight, but also the emotions that are tied to it. Mm -hmm. So I look at weight loss, like redesigning our life and who we are and letting go of the stories and false beliefs. So as we're letting go of this weight, there might be less of us physically, but there's going to be more of our heart revealed because we don't have these stories, these false beliefs, and we've actually redesigned who we are. And redesigning takes time. You can't redesign your whole house in 10 weeks. So how could you expect yourself to drop a significant amount of weight and redesign your habits and behaviors in 10 weeks? Yeah. So I think looking at it as a redesigning process and just giving yourself compassion and time, but also the will, the, the, the discipline to, to work it. Cause the only person who can work it is you. And it only works if you do work it. So it definitely does take that commitment. Yeah. And, and going back to creating that identity is that we often have a lot of identity is um, folded into our weight. So, so our white identifies who we are. Yeah. And so, and our food identifies who we are. So how do we create this new self, not only around weight, but around how we think about food and what we do with our food and how we approach food as well. That all sort of folds into it, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Great. Dr. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us and uh thanks for having me thank you for your time yeah thank you my pleasure thank you dr ashley for sharing your story with us another great example of how you can't outrun a bad diet and we've had loads of these examples over the years i also like that she pointed out that chronic exercise isn't good for us which i totally agree with um And most people who are fat adapted and do a recreational sport don't have to carb load. There are some types of endurance sports where some carbs may be needed or even some people who will need to add in some carbs. But it isn't the carb loading in the traditional sense. We can tap into so much energy from our fat stores. If you are an endurance sports person, maybe you want to go back and listen to episodes 8 with Fidel Gonzalez and 53 with Ali McDonald and Greg Potter because they really do focus on the endurance side of sports and Ali and Greg have also created a product that will help you maintain your level of intensity and endurance endurance better than intensity um, to keep your body fueled without having to carb load It was also a good reminder from Ashley that fat isn't passive. It secretes hormones and it wants to grow. And I like, really like the analogy of that belly fat is like a tumor. And, and it's almost, you can almost picture that is as of something that you don't want to have in your body that you need to deal with. Um, but it also reminds us that it isn't our fault. Our bodies create the signals for us to respond to. And we have little control because it's the cells that are pushing us to eat the food that it it wants. It's driving us. And also she pointed out that we need to reduce all that fat before going into maintenance, which was, I don't think we've had anyone mention that before. So that was really interesting. 
In Ashley's last tip, there was an absolute gem. She said how weight loss is so much more than dropping weight. So I'm just going to repeat what she said because it's very powerful. She said, I look at weight loss like redesigning our life and who we are and letting go of the stories and false beliefs. So as we're letting go of this weight, there might be less of us physically, but there's going to be more of our heart revealed. I thought that was really powerful. She also said how redesigning takes time and often many people want everything now, but it doesn't work like that. So if you're new to this journey, just go back and re-listen to Ashley's last tip and, and know that you can't expect to make quick changes that are sustainable. So thank you, Ashley, for those great tips and insights. I thought it was a really great episode. And just before I finish and tell you where the show notes are, I'd like to take a moment to ask you to support the Fabulously Keto podcast with a small monthly donation so that you can help us keep the podcast going. And there are different levels of support from just supporting us and the podcast to joining our meetings. So for more details, go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto. And for the show notes for this episode, go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 089. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.